This is the MLW Radio Network. All right, guys, before we go any further in this week's episode, it's time to talk about a great sponsor we have on Front Row Material, and that is BlueChew.com. Let's be honest, guys. Sometimes we get so busy with work and life gets hectic and crazy that we just have difficult times setting that right mood to have romance. Well, you know what? With BlueChew.com, you don't have to worry about that. Romance is ready for when you are ready. BlueChew.com has the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. However, it's in a chewable form. You can take it either on a full or empty stomach, and here's how you get it. It's real simple. All you got to do is go online to BlueChew.com. You're going to fill out some basic questions. And if you qualify, they're going to connect you with a doctor who can get you a prescription. No more awkward conversations at the doctor's office. No more weird moments waiting in line at the pharmacy. BlueChew.com, if you qualify, ships you discreetly a package that no one knows what's inside of it except for you. It gives back that privacy, that intimacy that you are looking for when it comes to fun in the bedroom. Remember, Blue Chew is revolutionizing the way we see romance in the bedroom. It is an awesome product. And for all of our listeners, we have a special running right now. If you go ahead and use promo code ECW, you are going to get your first order of Blue Chew for free. I'm going to say that again. For free. All you got to do is pay the $5 for shipping and handling. It gets sent to your door. And like I said, you can enjoy it when the time is right for you. Remember, don't let life dictate romance to you. You dictate when romance is happening for you with bluechew.com. Remember guys, promo code ECW. All you pay is the $5 for shipping and handling. Get your first order for free. And as always, remember, chew it and do it. This is Front Row Material with ECW legends Jerry Lynn and Mikey Whipwreck. Here is your host, Mike Freeland. Welcome to another episode of Front Row Material. My name is Mike Freeland. Now, you're probably wondering, where's the 4321 countdown? Where is Mikey? Where is Jerry? What's going on? This isn't the typical beginning of a show. And you're right, this is not the typical beginning of a show. This week's going to be a little bit different, you guys. Jerry is on assignment. Uh, he is on the road with AEW. Mikey is uh, wrapping up Girl Scout cookies and I believe their uh, situation with uh, Snatch the Dog. I don't know if he got in trouble or not, but he's handling that situation as well. So, you have me this week. You have the leader of the Front Row Material uh, crew, Mr. Mike Freeland. So, a little bit different episode this week, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to have fun. That doesn't mean we're not going to talk about wrestling stuff because we definitely are. A lot of things that I want to kind of go over this week because I know this is definitely an exciting time in the world of wrestling, and I know a lot of you guys are very excited about the things that are happening, not only surrounding AEW, but things that are surrounding WWE. Um, we're going to kind of go into those things as well. We're also going to talk about wrestling conventions. Love to uh, share some of my experiences with you guys, and then I would love to, after this posts, get your takes on wrestling conventions as well. Are you a big fan of them? What are some aspects that you like? What are some aspects that maybe you don't really like? And uh, and then the cost factor as well. So the big thing that just recently happened was, well, even before you had Revolution, you had the next edition installment, whatever you want to refer to it as, the Saudi Arabia shows with the WWE. Um, I know there was a lot, and I'm talking, guys, a lot of backlash 
and a lot of people were frustrated with the show in Saudi Arabia from the WWE universe perspective. I get that. I totally do. But, but let me ask you this question. You didn't honestly think that it wasn't going to be anything more than a glorified house show, right? Like, you didn't think this was going to be WrestleMania light because this is just a show that they put on for the Saudis. I mean, it's not intended to be a storyline changer, a game changer, uh, a landscape changer within the WWE. It's a show, and that's basically all it is. It's supposed to be something fun, something that the Saudis had paid for, for their fans to be able to enjoy a WWE experience. Um, just a couple quick notes as far as my thoughts on the Saudi Arabia show. And this tells you how interested I am in the Saudi Arabia shows. I don't even remember what it's called. I know it's, uh, God, what is it called? Anyway, um, a couple things I want to hit on. A lot of people lost their minds when Bray Wyatt lost the title to Goldberg. And I want to talk about that. A lot of people were... Maybe not as many people, but maybe I want to know what you think about AJ Styles getting destroyed with one move from The Undertaker. I'm going to share my opinions on that as well. So do you feel like that was something that was necessary? Do you feel like that was something that should have happened? In my opinion, I think it was more of a nostalgia move. I think a lot of people came to see The Undertaker. I think it was a good move from a business standpoint. But I don't think it was a good idea as far as what they were doing to AJ Styles himself. I think in a lot of ways, it basically kills AJ Styles, even though some people may argue, no, it's The Undertaker, he's the phenom, he does these type of things. But I just don't like the idea that sometimes you're willing to sacrifice younger talent that you're building your company around just to go ahead and pop a crowd with an older talent that you're happening to just bring back for a single show. I don't agree with it. Maybe I am completely off base with this. Maybe I'm not off base with this. Let me know what your thoughts are when it comes to the whole aspect. Maybe I'm analyzing it way too much. And I think sometimes that we can do that. We can get ourselves caught up in analyzing things because we look at it from a different perspective. We're not the quote-unquote demographic that they're looking to market their product towards. I look at it from someone who's watched this for over 30 years, and now I'm looking at it from a different perspective. Obviously, having known uh, individuals within the wrestling industry, knowing a little bit more on how the process itself works. So let me know what your thoughts are. Let me know what you think uh, happens with all of this, and uh, we'll kind of take it from there, but love to hear your thoughts on that. A lot of different things going on here. Um... So let's kind of get right into it here. The Saudi Arabia show in itself, I think, in my opinion, I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I think we've made that pretty well known here on the show. If you do agree with it, if you do like it, that is awesome. You are absolutely entitled to your opinion when it comes to that because when it comes to being a wrestling fan, everyone has their own opinion and everyone is entitled to speak their voice. I did not personally like the fact that you have stars that you have spent over a year building up, such as Bray Wyatt and the Fiend character. And I think they did a really good job with the Fiend character. Now, did they kind of stumble a little bit when it hit the uh, Seth Rollins storyline? Yeah, it did. But not everything's going to go exactly as planned. But I think that the Fiend had momentum. And then personally, in my opinion, I feel like the Fiend kind of stalled. And this is nothing to be discouraging or disparaging to Bray Wyatt, but I feel like WWE in the beginning felt like this character was going to be something more than what it was. From a fan's perspective, having watched wrestling for years, this was never going to be The Undertaker Part 2. This was never going to be a, a phenom in WWE that was going to last multiple years and multiple WrestleManias. I feel like it was... It was a new wrinkle that they were putting into the product, which was good. I think you always need to try to find ways to reinvent your product and maybe repackage some characters and find ways to make them appealing to your audience because you got to stay fresh. I mean, I think you would all agree you got to stay fresh in wrestling or people are going to get bored. They're going to see the product stale and they're going to say same old, same old. So... The Fiend was the champion, and obviously he was going into the match. They bring back Goldberg. Obviously, I clearly understand what they were doing with the whole Goldberg aspect. 
They were trying to pop the crowd. They were trying to maybe get some more people to tune into the network. They're, it's WrestleMania season. They're trying to instill some level of interest into WrestleMania. And once again, I'm not I'm not trying to, to shit on WWE. I'm not trying to shit on WrestleMania. Right now, WrestleMania is not looking to be all that exciting. And I'm not saying that because some people believe I'm an AEW homer. Um, I support AEW because I think it's a great product and because my good buddy Jerry works there and is a trainer and I have a tremendous amount of respect for Jerry and I think he's got a great mind and I, I love the AEW product. I think it's fun. I think it's exciting. It's refreshing and like AEW has always said, we're not trying to compete with WWE. We're just an alternative. If you would like something different, then hey, by all means, turn us on. But getting to this, the Goldberg aspect of it, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to throw something in there, throw something against the wall that's going to stick. And that's fine. If you want to put the belt on Goldberg, I don't have a problem with that. Here's where I do have a problem. Why does it have to be four spears and a jackhammer and it's over? Why do you have to basically castrate the fiend? Why do you have to do that? Somebody that you've spent so much time, so much money, so much marketing, positioning this individual, and then all of a sudden it's four spears and a jackhammer. And the jackhammer, and I'm not trying to knock Goldberg whatsoever, but I mean, it wasn't even really a jackhammer, jackhammer. It was like a suplex that he kind of lost his balance. And that was it. And if I was Bray Wyatt, I would be scratching my head going, I don't understand. I don't get this. Why, why did it have to go down this road? Or even if they did want to take the belt off Bray Wyatt, at least give him a competitive match. Make it interesting, you know? But it wasn't. It wasn't interesting at all. I think the match was like a minute and a half long. And I know some of you are going to go back and watch it and time it. And No, it was two minutes or three minutes. The point is, is that, you know, if you're going to have a title match, at least make it entertaining. At least make it where the champion is a champion and can hold his own or hold her own. And then the challenger you know, is is good as well. But that bothered me. It was a squash match. I didn't like it. I thought it was garbage. Uh, a lot of people thought it was garbage. Now, the reason why I think it was garbage and the reason why other people thought it was garbage are probably two different reasons. People think Goldberg's too old to be champion. People think that, oh gosh, you know, 53-year-old Goldberg, he's coming back, he shows up on a couple of SmackDowns and gets the belt. That is not the reason why I don't like it. I, I don't look at age as a factor as to whether or not somebody should win or lose or have a championship or not have a championship or get a push or not get a push. If you're over with an audience, then I think that trumps anything. That's the most important thing because if you're over with the audience, that tells the office that you're selling merchandise, that you're selling tickets, that you are a financially viable commodity to the product, Okay. The problem I had with it was Bray Wyatt is much younger. Bray Wyatt is most likely going to be around much longer than Goldberg. Even if you're taking the strap off of him because you're trying to build up WrestleMania, make it look decent. Don't don't kill Bray Wyatt. The guy's busted his ass. He's really bought into this whole character and the Firefly Funhouse and, and all of this when he was going through the legends and when he was going after Hulk Hogan a couple of weeks ago. And it was just interesting because he's a different character. But they squashed him. That's it. Goldberg's got the belt. Now you know why I don't like it. Uh, you're going to see a theme here with uh, Super Showdown. There it is. Just remembered it. Um, but yeah, I don't like that. I think if you're going to have a match, have a good match. And a lot of people are going to say, well, well, Mike, there's a lot of title changes that happen. And they aren't always the greatest five-star Dave Meltzer matches. When Bob Backlund lost the championship to Diesel in a few seconds, that wasn't that great. You know, when Kofi Kingston lost the championship to Brock Lesnar, I have a problem with that. I have a problem with, with that completely. I think Kofi Kingston is an amazing performer, and I think that the WWE screwed him with doing that. You basically kill a character when you basically make him look like he's a nobody, like he's a jobber. But that's how I felt. And WWE did the same thing either later on in the evening or earlier in the evening. I can't remember when the match happened with Ricochet and Brock Lesnar. Okay, I understand. You're probably not going to put the belt on Ricochet because they're already building up a match at WrestleMania with Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre. Okay, that's fine. 
I get it. We, we all understand it. We all understand most likely Ricochet's not going to win, but Ricochet is amazing. A phenomenal talent who has not only been widely successful on the indies in many, many different promotions and even on WWE programming. So when you basically kill him off again and you squash him, and then for those of you who've watched Monday Night Raw this past week, uh, you saw that they squashed him again. You're squashing Ricochet. Wow. You you must know some information that I clearly don't know because at the end of the day, I vehemently disagree with the concept of squashing him completely. I, I just, I don't understand the logic behind it. If somebody can explain it to me and say, you know, well, this or that or blah, 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 or it doesn't feel like he's giving 100% effort or he's mailing it in, whatever you want to say, but I don't agree with it. I don't agree that you squash people like that. No way. So that that's kind of the problem I have with WWE. But Super Showdown, I mean, I will say this. One of the most exciting matches in Super Showdown was the women's match. That was really good. Really good. And I just, I'm, I'm very confused with the way WWE books things. And, and I understand it's a 50-50 booking. 50% of the time, they're going to be behind you with a rocket up your ass. The other 50% of the time, you're basically sitting back in craft services. I understand. I get that. Not everybody can be champion. Not everybody can be involved in a major storyline or a major angle. I get that. But the level of, of bipolarness or inconsistency or we're going to do this one day and then five minutes later we're going to do it this way. Like, I don't understand and it's those levels of inconsistency with the way they handle their product, which is very, very confusing to me. Um, and I, I don't know when they brought John Cena back, if it, this was, uh, I don't want to say a gift to Bray Wyatt, but hey, look, we understand that we took the belt off you. We're going to give you a John Cena match at WrestleMania to make up for it. I'm sure Bray's going to roll with whatever. Seems like he's a team player. But it's just kind of bullshit in a way because... At the end of the day, Bray Wyatt is, is a very, very good performer. And you built him up to be this monster for such a long time. And now all of a sudden, it's just, eh, whatever. I got, it's like a kid who has ADHD. And, and I can speak on this topic because I have um, ADHD. It's like you play with a toy for a while. And then all of a sudden, you get bored with your toy. And then you see the kid down the street has a new toy. And now all of a sudden, you've lost interest in your toy and you want to play with his toy. Booking seems to be going along those lines completely, and, and it is what it is, so, and those are just my opinions, and you may agree with me, and you may say, Mike, you're full of shit, I don't agree with you, I think you're just sour grapes, and that's fine, you're entitled to that, I want to hear what your words are, what your opinions are, what your sentiments are, so, after this show airs, please, by all means, hit me up on social media, at Mike Freeland, M-I-K-E-F-R-E-L-A-N-D, hit us up on the show, tag the show, let us know, say, hey, I listened to it, here are my sentiments regarding the booking WWE is doing. I don't agree with it, or I do agree with it. Um, it it's just, to me, it doesn't make sense. But Super Showdown, that was that was a super shit show, in my opinion. You, you, you quashed Ricochet with Brock. You quashed The Fiend with Goldberg. Um, just, I'm not a fan of that. Don't, don't build up these matches as if they're going to be something really good and then all of a sudden they turn into be you know a nothing so those are my opinions on that uh the randy orton edge storyline i am wildly interested in right now once again referring to this past monday on raw the beth phoenix randy orton storyline uh where she came out to give everybody an update on edge uh him rkoing her was awesome I think it does nothing but fuel and add more anticipation for this match. Look for good stuff in this match. Really look for good stuff. I feel like WWE is putting a lot of stock in this match and into the storyline. And rightfully so, because right now you have two performers who are super white hot. Edge coming back is super white hot as a, as a babyface. He was a babyface when he left nearly 10 years ago, but now he's back. Everybody loves a story of redemption. Remember the way they handled Daniel Bryan when he came back after his concussion situation? He was on fire. So I'm excited about that. As far as WrestleMania is concerned, I'm not excited about it. Let me know what your thoughts are. Are you excited about it? Or are you going to 
tune in. For those of you who have the network, most likely you'll turn it on because you're already paying the $9.99. But for those of you who do not have the network, are you going to subscribe to the network, Catch Mania? Or are you going to buy the pay-per-view? Or do you even care? Because WWE just it teases you and then it really drops the ball. So that's my that's my take on that. Um, we are going to get into Revolution. Something else I want to talk about also is free agency when it comes into wrestling. I talked to Mikey and Jerry about this, and I feel very strongly about this. It used to be in the Scott Hall and Kevin Nash and Lex Luger when the Monday Night Wars were going on, who was going to show up when, who was going to show up where, what was the situation. I feel like nowadays free agency in wrestling is a lot like free agency in the NFL, in Major League Baseball. I feel like it is its own season in itself. When's contracts going to expire? When's this person's last contractual obligation? Do you feel the same way? Do you feel like free agency season should be something that wrestling uh, promotions go with? You know, he's going to become a free agent at the end of this year. Or you know, do you like the fact that they talk about that? Or do you think, no, I really don't. I really just prefer to focus on the storylines themselves. I prefer to focus on the matches themselves. I like it. I'm very interested in that aspect of wrestling. I think it's interesting when people have that extra wrinkle in the whole aspect of it, in the back of their mind. I mean, perfect example, Brian Cage. You know, everyone knew that Brian Cage's contract was going to be coming up with Impact Wrestling, and then you have the match with RVD, and it really didn't go that great, and they rolled him out because of an injury, and then all of a sudden you start wondering, oh, was that the way they were going to write him off? Is it not the way they're going to write him off? Are they going to bring him back? And then all the speculation whether or not he was going to be going to AEW. And then his wife came out and said there's no truth to that. He hasn't signed with AEW. To me, that's a storyline in itself. To me, that is exciting just as much the anticipation, the questioning, the wondering, where is this person going to be? That gets me just as interested and invested in a character as a storyline on television is. Because at that point in time, somebody could show up at any point in time, and I think that would be exciting. Now, we're seeing that a lot with guys nowadays. Like I said, Brian Cage is a big one. We had that big situation with Marty Skrull. Where was he going to show up? Boom, he showed up in the NWA, and obviously now he's doing stuff with Ring of Honor. He's going to be doing stuff with Japan again. You know, we all thought he was going to be going to AEW to be with his former Bullet Club members, but that didn't happen, at least not right now. Then we hear about the Revival, and they are a great tag team. I don't know what everyone's opinions on the Revival are, but in my opinion, they're a great tag team, and I think that they are going to succeed uh, beyond their expectations once they leave the umbrella of WWE. I do. I really honestly believe that. And they have been very outspoken about it, and Matt Hardy's been very outspoken about his contractual situation with WWE and, you know, John Moxley, before he went over to AEW, it was a big situation. What was going to happen with him? I like that aspect. To me, that's interesting because it creates a buzz. It doesn't have to occur on television programming, but social media, which is the single biggest, most important aspect, in my opinion, of any industry, speculation, rumors, what's going on? What is this person reporting? What is this person saying? I mean... For God's sakes, look at the Tom Brady situation. Football is not even happening right now. It's not even happening. And we are so engrossed with the NFL because we want to know, where's Tom Brady going to land? Well, okay, so where's Philip Rivers going to end up? For a long time, we wondered, where was Eli Manning going to go? Then we finally got the big payoff, and we found out that he was going to retire. But it's just interesting. Storylines that involve social media and drama and speculation and rumor, to me, are interesting. And I love it, and it fuels discussions, it fills um, discussion boards, it fills Twitter, it fills Facebook, and it's something that people can all relate to, people can all talk about. Hey, I think he's going to go here, because in this storyline, they're talking about this, and I guarantee you that's what they mean. You know, we also saw that Matt Hardy was dropping a lot of different tweets and, you know, giving some impression of where he may end up. A lot of people believe he'll become the exalted one. Hope I said that right. With AEW. And now we know Luke Harper is obviously contractually going to be free soon. Is he going to be part of that? 
And AEW is going to have a show in his hometown. Is that where he's going to show up at? It's just in- interesting. It just really, really is. Because before AEW came around, you didn't have a whole lot of who's going to show up where. Yeah, some people may show up on Impact Wrestling. And, and that's that's exciting. Ring of Honor, not really as much. Um, then you start to hear a little bit of well, who's going to show up on the NWA. Okay, well, that's cool. We're going to follow that for a, for a minute. But I think it's exciting. Um, I think the Revival is going to go to AEW. I believe Matt Hardy is going to go to AEW. Um, I believe, you know, Brody Lee is AEW bound. I believe Brian Cage is AEW bound. And let me tell you this right now, folks. If all of those happen, the landscape will completely change. And I know everybody loves to, you know try to compare WCW and WWE and now AEW and WWE, it's going to change dramatically. You have a billionaire who loves wrestling, who it's in his blood, Tony Khan. He has a great team around him. He has Jim Ross, who's also a heavy in part behind the scenes. You got excited, passionate, young talent, and they are getting younger and they're adding more relevant stars. They are building new stars. This company is to be reckoned with. This company, in my opinion, will be bigger than WCW. I'm telling you right now, mark it down on your calendar the day you heard this. WWE, there's been a lot of rumors been going around about Vince McMahon and his level of participation in WWE. Rumor has it he doesn't even show up to Monday Night Raw anymore. And the other rumor is that he only shows up to two SmackDowns a month. Now, could that be because he's involved with Alpha Entertainment and he's really involved with the XFL? Yeah, maybe. That could be the case. Could it be the case that he's starting to realize that he's kind of getting a little phased out a little bit? Could be. I'm telling you right now, if WWE does not put together a game plan as far as what their succession is going to be, there's going to be problems. And I know you're probably thinking, wait a minute, succession plan? It's going to be Triple H. It's going to be Stephanie. Shane's out of the picture. That's that's what the succession plan is going to be. Okay, that's fine. If you think that that formula is going to continue to work, that's fine. But I'm telling you right now, if they don't have some other people, a a very strong brain trust in WWE, and if they don't start creating new superstars, and they don't start investing in these people and stop this 50-50 booking, there's going to be some major problems in the company. And there's a lot of disgruntled employees within WWE. But they stay there because they're financially secure. So maybe that's a better question. Do you stay with a company because you're financially secure? Or do you stay with a company because you feel uh, creatively satisfied? I mean, how many of you out there go to a job each and every day and you're not thrilled about it? And maybe some of you even loathe the job. But because it, it supports your family, your wife, your children, your mortgage, your cars, it allows you to do some things that you want to do stay there. I can tell you there's nothing wrong with that. It all depends on what you want out of life. I can tell you a story. I used to work for a financial investment company and I worked with stocks and bonds and I worked with mutual funds and I did very well, very well financially, but I hated it. Every single day I walked into that company, I felt like a little part of my soul was gone. And so I left. Now, did that take some strategic planning? Did that require going and talking to my wife and making a team decision about this? It absolutely did. But you got to look at it from the perspective of what does this individual want out of life? Do you want to be financially secure or do you want to be happy? And there's nothing to say you can't have both, but let's be real here. In life, it's very few and far between. But if you can find it, kudos to you, my friend kudos to you because it's a very, very difficult balance to have. So now that I've gone off on that huge tangent, you've gotten a little bit more insight into what my life has been. By the way, I'm in graduate school right now. I'm getting my master's degree in education. I will be a chemistry, physics, uh, natural science teacher for middle school and high school. Um, that's, that's what I'm going to be doing. And I want to work with kids and I want to work with students and I want to be a good influence on them. Because I believe in paying it forward. I believe in investing in people who 
they still want to change and you can help them. And that's where I found out the biggest aspect of my life was. What do I want to do? And I want to leave a mark on this world that I was actually a positive influence on some young people's lives where they can look back and say, man, life was shitty or life was tough or mom and dad were going through a divorce or whatever it was. And I could go into Mr. Mike's classroom and I could talk to him. And I could at least, I could at least in some way, shape or form be a positive influence. And that's all I want to be. I want to be somebody who can be there for other people. And I had that given to me in middle school and high school. And I can tell you right now, it paid off so much. It was awesome. And giving back and helping lift other people up, I'm telling you right now, it is greater than any six-figure paycheck you could ever make. Because at the end of the day, you lay your head on your pillow and you know deep down, man, I did something that was special. So, sorry if you heard that. My computer is going through some updates, but uh, it is what it is. All right, so let's let's get on to Revolution here. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys actually saw Revolution. I saw it. Um, I loved it. Um, and I'm not saying that because I'm uh, an AEW homer. I'm saying that because at the end of the day, it was a damn good show. So let's kind of go over what these results were, and let's kind of talk about them briefly. And I'm going to go into some discussions about wrestling conventions, and then pose some questions to you, and uh, and wrap it up, and go home, like they say in the business. AEW Revolution took place in Chicago, and I feel like Chicago, in my opinion, is one of, if not the biggest hotspot for indie wrestling. And maybe not necessarily just indie wrestling, but wrestling in general. Chicago's a wrestling town, just like Kansas City is a wrestling town. There are certain towns, cities in the United States that are just a hotbed for it. And Chicago's one of them. Chicago's not only a wrestling town, it's a sports-minded town. It's a fun town. Chicago's awesome. We have family um, on my wife's side of the family. We, We go up and we visit. And there is so many things to do in Chicago. It is so fun to go up to Chicago. All right, so once again, tangent, let's get back on track. So in the pre-show, we had the Dark Order taking on SCU, and the Dark Order wins. Um, You know, d- depending on who you look at, Bleacher Report, CBS Sports, whatever, you know, this match was was interesting, but I think it's not necessarily the match itself that is driving all the interest, it's around Christopher Daniels. It's about the concept of, is Christopher Daniels going to become the exalted one? He's the fallen angel. We've seen him with that character for many, many years. I think it's interesting. As much as he wants to deny being a part of it or being involved or having some interest in it, it's just... It's, it's like the Hangman Adam Page situation. There's just enough of, wait a minute, look at the way he looked, or how did he say that? That makes you wonder what's really going on. So the Dark Order defeated SCU. I think this is a good idea. I think they really need to start getting behind the Dark Order. I love the promos and the vignettes that the Dark Order does. I feel like it's really exciting. I loved it when I first saw it. Um, I like it. I, I like the concept. I like to see where they're going with it. So the match itself, as far as Bleacher Report, got a C plus. Don't have a problem with it. It was a fun opening match. I think in a lot of ways, there that match was used more so as a catalyst for the Christopher Daniels storyline than it was anything to do with wins and losses. All right, moving on to the main show. Our first match was Dustin Rhodes versus Jake Hager, and this match is basically a culmination from you know Cody and his crew rivaling uh, Chris Jericho in the inner circle and obviously Dustin getting his arm broken inside the car door by Jake Hager. What was going to happen? Dustin was rehabbing. Jake Hager is this big monster. They were chanting Jericho's bitch on the uh, pay-per-view, which I thought was interesting. Am I surprised by the outcome? Jake Hager wins over Dustin Rhodes. Am I surprised? Absolutely not. And I think it was good. It was good for the simple fact that that Dustin is so smart when it comes to the business that he realizes that for AEW to succeed, the veterans are going to have to do things to leverage and position the younger guys to be able to take the ball and run with it in years to come. And I think Jake Hager is a huge piece of that 
success puzzle. And I think it made a lot of sense. It didn't kill off Dustin's character the way they did it. He didn't lose by pinfall or submission. It was a referee stoppage. They talked about how Jake Hager is an MMA fighter, how he's undefeated. And he won with an MMA hold, which I think makes total sense. You don't kill Dustin's character. It doesn't kill his credibility. He could still come back and have another match with Jake, or he could do whatever. And Dustin is still white hot, but yet it gives the rub to Jake, and it makes him this next level. I think it made a ton of sense. A lot of outlets around the internet were giving it different results. Bleacher Report gives it a B. I would have to agree with that. I think it was a good match. I think it was solid. And I think it started to push the storyline of what are we going to see with Jake Hager? What are we going to see with him going forward? Because, you know, prior to that, we hadn't really seen him a lot in the ring. He was just the, the heavy of Chris Jericho. But I think we can expect big things from Jake Hager. And I think Dustin, he may still wrestle. I think it may be more hit and miss nowadays. I think he's going to be more involved with behind the scenes. Once again, just my opinion. I have no insider information. I just think from a creative standpoint, uh, that may be where Dustin is, is best suited. Um, he may still come out with, with Cody in, in different moments, but I think we'll probably see him uh, few and far between. The next match, God, I to say this match, in my opinion, stole the show is an understatement. I have been a fan of Darby Allen since I started following him and Sammy Guevara. Uh, started watching them on YouTube, started seeing their matches on the indie scene and what they were doing and how unique they were. Let's start off with, with Darby Allen, the charisma, the personality, that dark figure, the fact that he resonates with the audience. He's a, He's an alternative to a traditional wrestling personality. I love it. I really, really do. And then you have Sammy Guevara, who is wildly talented. I mean, Lucha Libre style wrestling right there. He's He can do any type of style. He can do strong style, if you really want to go that route. He can do the high flying. He can do the ground wrestling. Sammy Guevara has such a multifaceted array when it comes to his repertoire inside the ring that you could put him just about with anybody, and he would do very well. This match blew away my expectations. I went into this match thinking this was going to absolutely kick ass, and it kicked ass times 10. Like, I, I, A++++++ to the 10th power. I know that makes literally no sense whatsoever, but it was that good. It was that good because the storytelling was that strong. You had the storyline coming in that Sammy Guevara obviously was mocking Darby Allen, was making fun of him, was, you know, gang jumping him with the other members of Inner Circle, you know, took his skateboard and crushed his trachea, then broke the skateboard and went mocking him and Darby's gone and he can't really communicate. And then all of a sudden, Darby comes back. And this was so good, I can't wait for the sequel. Because you know there's going to be a sequel. There has to be a sequel. You can't have a match like this and say, oh, well, this was it. It was a one-off. No way. No way. It's just too good. This match had everything that you would want. And not only did it have the ground wrestling, but it had the aerial. It involved other props around the ring as well. It got personal. It got nasty and dirty in some aspects of it. You could tell that there was a high level of emotion with both of these performers. And all in all, I literally, the match felt like it went past, went went by like a blink of an eye. And it was so good. It was so good. Some matches, you guys, when you watch them, you're like, oh, geez, oh, Pete, this has been, what, 15, 20 minutes? You could give Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara a half hour each time, and they're going to steal the show. And I felt like this stole the show, by the way. Right here, this stole the show. Um, there's another match that I felt was, was uh, pretty damn close. Pretty damn close. But I still give the edge to Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara. Loved it. I can't wait. There were so many holy shit chants that were going on in Chicago. People were just out of their minds excited. When they would pan the crowd, people were gasping. People were just out of their seats. They were raising their drinks. They were just impressed. Um, Bleacher Report gives it an A. I could not agree. I couldn't agree more. The next match is on social media is being touted. And, and I want to know what your thoughts about this are as well. 
they say it was the greatest tag team match of all time. That's a pretty big statement. The greatest tag team match of all time. It was the Young Bucks, the Challengers versus Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page who are the champions. But really, it's not really about just titles. Once again, much like matches that I like, there is that little extra wrinkle, the psychology, the storytelling that makes it so interesting. So for some of you who may or may not be familiar, the, the issue with this is Adam Hangman Page kind of always felt like he was the stepchild to the Bullet Club. And the Young Bucks kind of said that in an interview they did with Jim Ross in the Go Home show of Dynamite, basically saying, hey, listen, you were a jobber in Ring of Honor, you know, whatever, we brought you into the Bullet Club, we made you a part of our group, and they basically kind of talked down Adam Page, and Adam Page is over white hot with the audience, and Adam has really kind of held his tongue as far as how he has felt about this entire situation. I think he looks at the Bullet Club in a lot of ways. It's it's the Cody, Young Bucks, Kenny Omega click, and then he's there too. And I feel like he's never, maybe as far as a character standpoint, feel like he's ever been completely embraced. Like he is a huge factor in that group. Because everything you see is always Cody, the Bucks, and Kenny. So Adam is starting to get disgruntled, and he feels like, you know, the group thinks that he has success because of his involvement with them, but he can hold his own all by himself, and him not choosing to celebrate and hang out with the group really starts to show the dissension, and that interview with Jim Ross on Dynamite, I think, was was beautiful. Whoever was a part of that, whoever went ahead and laid that segment out, did a beautiful job. And I, this is the, the first time the Bucks really were not the ones that the audience was behind. It was really Hangman. And Kenny's kind of that guy who's stuck in between. You know, he's with the Bucks, yet he supports Hangman. They've had some issues in the past, but what's going on? Kenny's trying to be the guy who overlooks some of the issues that have been going on, tries to see the better side of everybody. It was so good. Um, I don't know how many false finishes there were, but it was awesome. Because And here's why it was awesome. It, it was awesome because, you A, you didn't know who was going to win. B, you didn't know what Adam Page was going to do. You don't know if he was going to turn on Kenny, what he was going to do to the Bucks, if he was going to completely just walk out. What was going to happen? There were so many intriguing elements that were bigger than the tag titles, if that makes sense. Was, was this going to be Adam's final movement from the old young bucks and Kenny group, or was, was this going to be his coming out party as his own guy? And they were chanting cowboy shit the whole match and, and really into everything that he was doing. So that's what made it interesting. It was, it was more than a one dimensional match more than that. And you saw a lot of the psychology being told in the match with the bucks and the way they were interacting with Kenny, the way they were interacting with hangman, the way they were interacting with each other. Sometimes it almost looked like they were going too far. It was almost like they snapped. And sometimes they had to pull themselves back and, and kind of take a deep breath and reevaluate what was happening. But it was just so good because it was more than just belts or titles or whatever the hell you want to call them. It was so good as far as storytelling. Bleacher Report here gives the match, uh, let me see here, gives the match an A+. I could not agree more. It was... It's a candidate for match of the year, but it's a candidate of, of, of match of all time as well, and I loved it. All right, moving on to a match that I have mixed feelings about, and I'll kind of explain why. So you had Chris Statlander, who is the challenger to Nyla Rose in the AEW Championship. Now, I understand a lot of people had issues with Rio being the first AEW champion, especially because you had Awesome Kong on the roster, you had Nyla Rose on the roster, you had Big Swole on the roster, you had a lot of people on the roster that could legitimately carry that title more than Rio, and we never saw Rio very much, but they put the title on Nyla Rose, she is a beast, she is a monster, incredibly talented, very charismatic, excellent on promos, sharp in the ring. I mean, there really isn't a weakness with Nyla Rose. I believe she is the real deal. Like, I think she's the female version of Brock Lesnar for the simple fact that you are legitimately scared if you are a female going into the ring with Nyla Rose. 
Now, Chris Statlander, love Chris Statlander. Here's why. She is different as far as her persona goes. She's athletic. She does a lot of high-risk maneuvers, but she can also ground wrestle you as well. Chris Statlander has that screw you mentality, I'll spit in your face, and I don't care who you are, I don't care how big you are, I'm going to go toe-to-toe with you, kind of like that Steve Austin mentality in a way. Here's my critique on the match. Chris Statlander was sick going into this match, and, and Excalibur had mentioned that as well, that she was sick, and... I don't feel like we got the best out of Chris Statlander, but we got a lot out of Chris Statlander in the same breath. I know that sounds kind of crazy, but she went all out. She gave it 110%. Not to say Nyla didn't. I think Nyla Rose has an issue with with keeping up with people who are quicker than her, uh, lighter on their feet than her. I feel like she got very winded and very tired very quickly. And I feel like Chris Statlander needs to be associated in matches and angles with people who can do what she does. Nyla Rose, she can do some stuff off the top rope, no doubt about that, but she's mainly a ground wrestler. She's going to do the brute force strength stuff against you. Chris Statlander was great. If they would have put the belt on Chris Statlander, would I have been okay with it? Absolutely. I think she is so good. And this is coming off of being sick too, mind you. But they kept the belt with Nyla. I I understand why they kept the belt with her. You're not just going to put the belt on a monster and then take it off of them right, you know, right after you do that. I get that as well. The match itself wasn't bad. I give the match a B, uh, and Bleacher Report gives it a B minus. So I'm not that far off from what they say. Love Statlander. Want to see more from her. Like Nyla, but I feel like as far as if she's going to be in the ring, she's got to be able to keep up with the the younger, more athletic competition. Cody versus MJF. This is a very interesting storyline as well because obviously Cody was betrayed by MJF when he went for the championship against Chris Jericho. And, you know, basically MJF said, I don't want to be in your shadows anymore. I'm not just your protege. I'm my own man. And MJF is a star. I mean, he, he's a huge success in the wrestling business. So is Cody. But MJF is really a rising star. And I believe, and you may think that I'm full of shit, but MJF could be on the level of The Rock when it comes to wrestling. I just believe it. I really, really do. I think that he is, we're, we're just seeing the, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to him. Now MJF, as you know, wins the match against Cody, which I thought was awesome to do. I thought that was the best decision to make. Because look at it from this perspective. You put Cody through all these obstacles and hoops. You can't touch him for, what was it, five or six weeks leading up to the pay-per-view. Then he has to have a match with Wardlow inside a steel cage. Then he gets 10 lashes. So he has all these things going against him. And and conventional wisdom would say, oh, he's gone through all these things. And and this is going to be his redemption moment. But then right when you think he's going to have his redemption moment, bam, MJF just snatches it away from him. And you watch, and this again is the storytelling and the psychology, you see a dejected, defeated Cody walk away from the ring. There was an issue with Arn Anderson in the match. Cody loses the match. Where are we going to go from here? Is is it going to be a situation where Cody decides, hey man, this isn't working out with with Arn? Is Arn secretly going to be involved maybe with MJF at some point in time? Is Arn going to decide to, maybe he gets into a heated conversation with Cody and he starts a stable of his own wrestlers. Who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's going to happen? But I like it a lot. I think it would be smart to keep Cody off TV for a while. And kind of play up this whole, Cody's going through a lot of stuff right now. I think that would make a lot of sense. And MJF just continues to run his mouth, and he goes into his next feud, and he's destroying all these people, and he's destroying legends. And I just think, personally, it makes a lot of sense. So, I liked it. I liked it a lot. It made a lot of sense to me. I would give it a B. I don't have a problem with that. Um, They give it a B+. Bleacher Report gives it a B+, which I thought was great. Next is Orange Cassidy versus Pac. Um, I, I don't think any of us really knew what to expect with this. And I think not knowing what to expect made it interesting. Because you have the bastard Pac who 
pound for pound, and I know we use that phrase a lot in wrestling, pound for pound, he can do anything. He can wrestle the heavyweights. He can wrestle the light heavyweights, cruiserweights, whatever you want to call them. He can ground wrestle you. He can submission wrestle you. He can do high flying. He can cut promos. He looks scary. Like, this guy is the epitome of what you see in a nightmare. And then you got Orange Cassidy, who you can never get a read on this guy. He doesn't really say a whole lot. But he's so over with the crowd because everybody kind of associates themselves with Orange Cassidy in a way. And I think it's awesome. I loved it. Loved the match itself. We saw things out of Orange Cassidy that we had never previously seen. Unless you've kind of watched him on the indie scene and you've watched some of his matches on YouTube. But Orange Cassidy did an amazing job. I mean... What he was able to show us versus Pac in a losing effort was something that does not hurt Orange Cassidy. It still makes Pac a big monster. Once again, have you noticed that theme that I've continued to say? The Dustin Rhodes situation. Dustin doesn't get squashed. It doesn't kill his credibility, even though Jake Hager won. Cody, what's going to happen with that? It doesn't kill Cody. It elevates MJF. Now we're talking about the bastard Pack and Orange Cassidy. Even though Pack wins, it doesn't hurt Cassidy. AEW creatively has found a way to have endings to matches and outcomes that don't hurt the other one. It somehow still leaves things very, very open-ended and very eligible to be retweaked, and it doesn't kill their progress or their movement with inside the company. Loved it. I thought the match was an A without a shadow of a doubt. God, I would love to see a rematch with this as well. Um, will we? I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to plan on doing with Orange. I think it's smart to have him use sparingly because it's a situation where people then really want it. I give the match an A. It was so good. It was so good. And, you know, Pack wins, but there's outside interference. You know, there's some distractions that are going on. You have a tag team in Best Friends who, God, they're so cool. I love them. They're over with the crowd. They do the hug thing. Look for them to really be making big strides in 2020. I think this faction of Best Friends and Orange Cassidy is right now the equivalent of maybe what Too Cool was back in the uh, early 2000s. Let me know what your thoughts are with that. Am I right? Am I wrong? Am I kind of close? Did you have that same thought? We'll go from there. And finally, what JR was calling the big one, which, I mean, after we've seen everything on this pay-per-view, can you really say this is the big one? John Moxley and Chris Jericho wrestle for the AEW Championship. As we know, there has been a, a hot feud between the two of them. John Moxley has gone through hell and uh, back to get his revenge on the inner circle and Chris Jericho. Chris Jericho is a, an amazing champion. In my opinion, they should have kept the belt on Jericho. I think, in my opinion, the pursuit of the championship sometimes is just as important as a championship victory. I think if you would have had Jericho somehow dastardly steal this win and he comes away and Moxley's even more pissed, it just fuels the fire. You know, you don't want to tease it out too long, but I mean, there's ways that you could have kept Jericho as the champion and made Moxley even more upset. But we have found out that Jericho is going back on tour with Fozzie uh, with social media. So it is no surprise right now that because he will be stepping away from AEW, at least for the time being, that you put the belt on Moxley and go from there. I like the match. I did. Did I think it was the match of the night? No. Do I think that they'll go on to have better matches in the future? Yes. I think it was solid. I really, really do. I love the fact that Moxley gave that awesome in-ring promo after the match was over. I thought that was awesome. I think Moxley is a huge star. I think he always was a huge star. I think WWE just didn't know how to use him. I think that this is going to really take the company to the next level. And like I said before, with all the guys that we have been speculating may come into AEW, my God, can you imagine all the matches, and we still don't even know if Jeff Cobb is going to come back, but wouldn't that be awesome to have Cobb coming back, and then at some point Jericho's going to show up from 
being gone on his tour, and then maybe he wants his rematch against Moxley, and you can start this whole thing up all over again, and it's almost brand new and fresh because enough time has passed. So Bleacher Report gives this match an A. Um, I, I don't disagree. I might say a B plus, but at the end of the day, it's it was good. It was a great pay-per-view. I think the crowd was really into it. I love the announcing team, and I know a lot of people have really had their opinions on JR. First of all, guys, everybody chill out. JR is really good at what he does. Forget that he's been around for forever. Forget that he is a legend in, in the broadcasting industry when it comes to wrestling. JR is good at what he does. He's a good storyteller. And I hate the fact that every single time someone trips up or makes a mistake, someone is, is ready and willing to point it out or step on their toes or to say uh, he needs to get out of the way. I love JR. I love Excalibur. I, I've said this to Jerry on numerous occasions. Excalibur is my favorite announcer. Um, Excalibur and um, Mario Ronaldo in NXT. Those two guys right there, I could listen to them, call matches all day long, twice on Sunday. So they're so good at what they do. I love Tony Schiavone. I love the angle they're using with Tony Schiavone, especially with Britt Baker. I like that because it, not often do announcers really get to be involved in angles. And I think it's good. And Tony's really good at it as well. And I'm very happy with he and Aubrey Edwards being able to have a pay-per-view style, excellent podcast um, with, with AEW. They do an amazing job. If you've not heard it, you need to go out of your way and take some time and listen to that. Add it to your playlist because I think it's phenomenal. All right. We talked about WWE. We talked about AEW. We talked about free agency. We've talked about my opinions. We've heard what Bleacher Report has had to say. Wrestling conventions. If you've listened to recent episodes, you've heard that I am going to a big wrestling convention that is going to be in Ohio. And I'm excited about it. When I was with David Penzer doing Sitting Ringside, I was at a big wrestling show called Legends of Wrestling and it happened in Detroit. David Penzer and Legends of Wrestling put on a 100% A-plus top quality um, presentation. Amazing. I have nothing but positive things to say about them. I am so excited um, about the reunion in Roundtown. I think that's going to be so good. But let me ask you a question. When it comes to conventions, do you feel like, and once again, I understand wrestlers are, are, are trying to make money. You know, they're just like you and me. We go to work. we got to make our money. Do you think autograph signings, are too expensive? Do you feel like meet and greets are too expensive? Do you feel like, unfortunately, sometimes the pricing is just a little bit much? I love what the reunion at Roundtown is doing. I don't have an issue with their pricing. I think they're actually doing a really good job. I think they are family friendly. I think they are really within the range of what things should cost. I think they take the fans into consideration. So I, I love that aspect of it. But do you feel like any wrestling conventions you've gone to have been expensive? Do you feel like it's been really costly? Did you have to buy a package? I know when I went to WrestleMania 22 in Chicago, boy, that was expensive for the meet and greets. What do you feel like? Do you, would you rather have an autograph from a wrestler or would you rather have a picture with a wrestler if you had to pick between the two? Do you feel like the meet and greets either live up to expectation or do you feel like, eh, you know what, I really like this this guy or gal on TV, but when I met them, it didn't really live up to what I was hoping. What are your thoughts on that? I've talked to some people who, some people are huge convention fans and they will travel the country to go to all different conventions. And then I've heard some people say, you know what, I really don't care to do it. It's way too expensive and I'd rather just go to the show. What 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 side of the fence do you stand on? So hit me up. I am at Mike Freeland on social media. Let me know what your thoughts are. Let me know what you think about my thoughts on WWE, about characters, about Ricochet, about Bray Wyatt, what's going on, free agency, everything. I'd love to hear from you. So unfortunately, like I said, Jerry's on assignment with AEW. Mikey is doing the Girl Scout cookie thing. He's trying to get all that wrapped up. By the way, please follow Mikey on social media. He is at MikeyWhipbrook underscore. His daughter is selling the cookies. If you have a few bucks in your pocket and, and you do like a little sweet, go ahead, buy a, a box of cookies and, and support her. 
You can follow Jerry Lynn at It's Jerry Lynn. He will always interact with you guys on social media. So will I. Please continue to hit me up with your DMs and your thoughts, your feelings on the wrestling business, because I, like you, am just a fan, and I love to share my opinions with you. All right, guys, that is going to do it for this week on Front Row Material. Once again, Mike Freeland solo this week. But you know what? Next week, we'll be back at it better than ever. You've been listening to Front Row Material on the MLW Radio Network. The world of MLW Radio never stops.